Okay, guys, we are entering into the first full week of July. Uh, summer is in full swing, and uh, this is episode number 15 of FedWatch. Um, this one's titled PPP Abuse from Altcoins and Global Savings Rate. We have a lot of great topics here, a uh, really great rundown covering what the Fed's doing, what's happening globally, and of course, Bitcoin. Um, before we get into the show, I want to talk about BISC. Uh, BISC is a really cool platform. You just download the software and it essentially helps you coordinate buying and selling of Bitcoin. Uh, there's no sign up. There's no sort of identification. You just run the software and it helps you coordinate those trades. Probably one of the most private ways that you can purchase Bitcoin uh, with fiat and a lot of other options as well. It's available worldwide uh, and I've used it several times. It's not hard at all. Uh, so don't be intimidated by running BISC and trying it out. Uh, and if you're a seller, there's definitely you know ways to make a, a decent premium on BISC. Uh, there definitely is a slight premium uh, just because uh, these coins are not going through a, uh, you know, KYC exchange and that kind of thing. I think it's fair to expect that. But, you know, some people would say that privacy is worth the premium for sure. Uh, so if you want privacy with your purchasing of Bitcoin, uh, check out BISC, download the BISC software. Uh, they have a great community and highly recommend them. Second, want to talk about Bitcoin at 2021. Bitcoin Magazine puts on the Bitcoin conference every single year. Uh, unfortunately, Bitcoin 2020, due to all the COVID craziness, had to be postponed. And now we're just turning our focuses to next year. The conference is moving to LA. It's going to be happening the weekend of April 30th. And uh, Tony Hawk, Nick Sabo, and a lot of the other speakers that were supposed to be speaking at Bitcoin 2020 have already agreed to move to move over to the Bitcoin 2021 conference. Go to b.tc backslash conference uh, to check it out or just Google Bitcoin 2021 conference. It's also at the Bitcoin conf on Twitter. Uh, so check that out. Get your tickets. Uh, we're going to be putting out a lot, lot more updates as well as uh, announcing more speakers and sponsors soon. So excited to continue to talk about uh, the Bitcoin conference over the next few months here. Let's get into the show. Ansel, uh, how's it going, man? Good, man. I, I had something to say about BISC and the premiums there, too. I mean, fungibility is, is going to have a premium. They, if you mix your coins with Wasabi or whatever, you're going to incur a lot of fees, right? And fungibility, no matter what, is, is going to be more expensive. So BISC might have a little bit of a premium, but they offer more privacy and so that's that's why you pay a little premium. Yeah, no, definitely. And again, this makes it super easy. So no matter what, if you're trying to get private coins, it's going to cost you either upfront or through mixing or other techniques. So this is one of the easiest, uh, safest ways to do it. So definitely check them out. Uh, we got a jam-packed show for you. Uh, first thing here is a lot of altcoin ICO pumping companies have abused the payment protection plan money that the U.S. government has been issuing to companies. Uh, do you want to get into this, Ansel? People have probably seen this by now, um, that there were, gosh, how many companies did it say in the article? I don't, I have to bring that article back up now. Uh, 40 companies in the blockchain and cryptocurrency industry collected at least 18 million in payroll loans from the U.S. government. So that's a lot of companies. Now, not all of them are scams. Some legitimate companies 
got uh, some help, right? But what I think is really bad about this whole thing was the companies that have tokens. So Zcash, uh, consensus isn't necessarily Ethereum, but it pretty much is. Tron, Cardano, a lot of these players, they got uh, millions of dollars and now all of a sudden their coins are pumping. I think there's a little, uh, it doesn't take the smartest person to understand that they got the money and they either put it into marketing or they put it into uh, buying their tokens. The best marketing for these coins is just number go up, right? So um, they, they could have just bought their coins. Uh, I think this is rife for corruption. What, what's your take? I think that this is a perfect example of what happens when the government is in charge of allocating and reallocating resources and assets. So they get misallocated. And here we go. We have ADA pumping 40% in like three or four days, as well as Charles Hoskins, you know, acting really weird online and making a mm-hmm. bunch of blogs, you know, accusing people of stuff and saying he's being silenced. And do you know who I am and stuff like that? <laughs> oh man, that guy is so classic. I mean, he is one of the best scammers in the space. Uh, I, I think it was Mr. Hoddle way back, a couple years back, he asked, he had a poll on Twitter, who was the best scammer in the space? And, you know, it was Vitalik or it was uh, uh, Dan Larimer or, you know, he had a bunch of these like well-known scammers. But Hoskinson's got out of that because he is so good that people don't even realize that he is a scammer, but he has been uh, foundational in a lot of these scams in the space. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we need to spend too much time on this, but okay, just pointing well, one, it out. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. One thing. Uh, and yeah, that's my own personal opinion on this whole thing. But um, one of the money quotes here in this article, which we'll link in the show notes was from a Silicon Valley investor. I, I, they're not named. But they said, quote, every fund has been telling their startups to apply for this PPP. So again, it's corruption. These big, these big uh, funds that are investing in these projects and these tokens, they're using the government to pump their investments. And it's just a really bad look, I think, for the space. The underlying storyline with all of this stuff is there's, a lot, there's always going to be misallocation of capital when the government is is distributing these funds. And there's always going to be arbitrary rules that benefit one group over another. So in this case, you know, companies that can afford, afford lawyers and accountants to, you know, you know, and make, make a case that they're being hurt by coronavirus, you know, they're going to get the money. That's just it. Um, and pretty much everyone, you know, has been hurt by coronavirus. So now it's just who can do the paperwork the most effective, you know, efficiently and effectively to uh to get a loan next is is ubi so uh we've just been we've been hearing the idea of ubi first kind of enter the overton window and then now is like not only a subject that we can actually talk about but it's something that uh is being considered more and more and experimented seriously um let's talk about this open letter again just searching the internet found this We'll link to the PDF for this one, but it's an open letter from 156 economists from places like Harvard University, Northwestern University, Berkeley, USC. I mean, all, all the big names for uh, big universities around the United States, and they're all calling for policymakers. Here, I'll, I'll read the first sentence. We urge policymakers to use all the tools at their disposal to avoid further preventable harm to people and the economy, including recurring direct stimulus payments 
lasting until the economy recovers. Now we knew this was this has been talked about, but I, I thought it was pretty significant that it came from a you know a large group of economists, uh, well, some well-known economists that are calling on the government to do this. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it's coming from the institutions that people in the Bitcoin space may kind of look at and call them corrupt as it is, right? So you know these top universities that are really beneficiaries of the existing system. You know, these are also the people that are working for the Fed, that are working uh, in policy, and they're, they have, they're recommending this now. And uh, it seems as though, you know, full Republican White House, mostly Republican uh, Senate, like they're going to continue doing UBI. And they're, it sounds like uh, Trump announced that there's going to be another check. Is that correct? Yeah, I just saw that headline today that they were uh, said it's, it's coming. But uh, there's some confusion over exactly what it is. I heard it was if um, people made under 40,000 a year, they were going to get a full check. But if they made over that, there was going to be like a graduated scale. But that could have been last week's news and now it's all new. Maybe everyone's getting a full check. I don't know. It's just going to be interesting to see that shake out. I'll take the check. Hey, I'm going to buy Bitcoin with it. So I'll pump my coin. (laughs) Yeah, but to your (laughs) Yeah, but to your point, it's, it's become normal now, and that's really scary, right? This, I mean, the guy, the Republican that's supposed to be at least somewhat fiscally responsible is cheering about sending out these UBI checks to people. Um, and like this letter shows, the entire kind of profession, economic profession, is getting behind this, which just a few years ago would have nobody would have believed that it's, it's picking up pace. Don't you think it's, it's getting faster and faster and uh, there has to be some sort of inflection point soon. Honestly, like this idea of MMT and full blown money printing could be the next step. And while that seems insane, crazier things have happened. And once something kind of enters the Overton window, it seems to like, if it's justified or if there's enough fear, like it could, it could happen. I mean, speaking of, you know, money printing or lack of money printing, next is uh, this NY Fed trading desk is seeing improvement and may stop purchases entirely. Do you want to get into the details on this? Yeah. So this was a zero hedge article that just came out today. And it, so it popped up on my radar and I thought it was pretty good because it has several things in here. Um, first off, the balance sheet of the Fed is slightly decreasing, even though they're still doing about $75, 80 billion a month in QE, uh, their balance sheet is actually slightly, slightly decreasing, if you can believe it. Um, let's see what else. This is the head of the New York Fed's trading desk. So pretty much the guy that does the open market operations. What's his name? I'm looking for it here. Singh is his last name. I can't pronounce his first name. I think it starts with a K, but he had a good quote in here. And he says, if market conditions continue to improve, Fed purchases could slow further, potentially reaching very low levels or stopping entirely. Uh, That kind of caused a little bit of a taper tantrum uh, on Wall Street uh, when when this was published. You're saying that stock prices reacted immediately downwards? Yeah, slightly. There was a a, a slight sell-off this morning uh, when this um, this quote got out there. Yeah, I don't know. They they picked right back up. So I don't know. 
it, they came in real big into the repo and the repo markets and it wasn't even fully needed and that that activity slowed down pretty significantly and then you know with these ETF and bond purchases like you pointed out a couple episodes ago uh, they never did that much but the market you know just reacted to the news um, I think the the next piece here in macro talking about savings rate you know, we'll get into what I think is the crux of like why all these assets are going up. But, you know, ultimately, they weren't doing that much that, you know, they're, it seems every crisis, the Fed talks more than they do. And then they do after they talk type of a situation. Uh, it seems like the Fed, or at least the Fed put is just something that everyone believes in. And uh, when the Fed talks, you know, the market reacts to that and just, you know, sees it as true. Yeah, the this article calls it a, a catch twenty two, and they mention it multiple times. Uh, I don't think there is a catch twenty two, and I just want to read through this real quick and, and see what you what's your take. The worse things get economically, the better it is for markets, as the Fed will intervene even more aggressively, and vice versa. The stronger the economy, the tighter the financial conditions will get. They think this is a catch twenty two, but I don't think so. If you if you flip it on its head, right? that the Fed is actually not doing anything. The Fed is just following and trying to preserve some confidence in the market. Then, then it all makes sense. I think maybe the, the, the belief in the Fed put is also belief in this catch-22. What you're saying is that everything that's happening is still free market no matter what. It's just you know the Fed is, is acting as if you know, they're, they're steering the ship, but they're really just doing stuff and reacting to what the market is doing. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. And, and his, his quote says that if market conditions continue to improve, then the Fed will do this. So they are admitting that they are following. They're following the market. They're not moving the market. They're, they're kind of maintaining their Fed put, uh, maintaining the illusion. But anyway, we can move on to macro now if you want. Yeah, let's do that. I don't have much else to say there. Uh, but what I what I am interested in is, you know, increased savings rates across the board and across the, uh, not only the U.S., but uh, developed nations, Europe, UK in particular. What do you have to say about, uh, you know, the increased savings across the globe? So, yeah, savings rates have spiked uh, during this coronavirus thing. A lot of people, um, I guess you would expect that since they're not out, people aren't out there spending in the economy. Um, but you know, people, uh, were worried about inflation and if inflation is going up, then people need to spend more of their income because things are getting more expensive. This article from the financial times is, is saying, no, the, uh, savings rates are increasing. So in Europe, it went from 12% to, to almost 17% in the first three months. So this is right at the beginning of this crisis, not even, not even the, the second quarter where all of the kind of economic problems hit. This is just from the first three months of the year. It already went up four percentage points uh, savings rates in Europe. And then in UK, it went up uh, 4% from five to almost 9%. And the U S was the big number here. It went from 8% savings rate to 32% savings rate in the first quarter of this year. So my belief is the economy was already going down. Like we had problems in September with the, the repo market. You know, the economy was slowing down with a lot of the um, economic numbers and 
this first quarter print here for the savings rate shows that yes, the coronavirus stuff affected it, but it was already headed that way because in the first quarter, we didn't really have a huge impact quite yet, just at the end of that first quarter. I mean, we we started to see images from China in January. People definitely weren't taking it that seriously quite yet. People weren't really talking about it. Uh, So that does indicate that greater systemic issues were being felt even before the catalyst that is coronavirus hit and people were saving a lot more. In my eyes, at least when coronavirus became a reality, I personally started stashing cash much more aggressively than, you know, I was always a saver. I think that's why I'm in Bitcoin because I like, you know, I'm into personal finance and and saving. Uh, But like my, my saving got a lot more aggressive and I was actively trying to cut my spending. Um, And then uh, I, I think that that's something that a lot of people have also experienced and I think going back to talking about stocks going up or, or other assets going up or the market performing well, these assets are now like the new pseudo savings technology. And while that might not sound like, like that kind of sounds like everyone already knew that because that's what, you know, your 401k and your IRA and all this stuff, it's like save in the market. So it's not, it, it's not that groundbreaking of an observation. But just understanding that U.S. dollar and savings account don't work for savings for most people, like stocks are a much better savings technology. And I think that they're they're being ballooned with store of value. You know, store of value is pouring into stocks right now. And uh, it's just really interesting to see. So if you think about like in the 80s and 90s, interest rates were up there at 10%, right? You could buy a CD at your local credit union and get 8% return on it. Why would you ever go into risky stocks? You can get 8% from your bank. And that's why the stock or the bond market is so much bigger than the stock market. But as rates kept going down, people had to find that yield somewhere. And so they started going more and more into stocks or into more risky bonds. So we talked about the Fed buying these junk bonds, right? And some of these, some of these um, junk bonds are yielding like 3 or 4%. So even there, the the big money can't find any returns, even in junk bonds. So they have to go into into the stock market. I don't believe that all of the that the stock prices are that separated from reality. They are, of course, a little bit separated from reality uh, because the Fed uh, there is some action happening there. But it makes sense if interest rates are going lower. There's a deflationary pressure, deflationary environment. People can't get yield in bonds, so they have to go into savings or they have to go, I'm sorry, go into stocks. And now they're, they're starting to go into gold. Gold is going up. Bitcoin, of course, is still a small player, but it's getting bigger and bigger. I think after this next wave of Bitcoin, it's going to become right up there with gold. It's going to be mentioned in the same breath as gold after this next rally. Just a slight observation I had right now is most people interact with the stock market you know, with a wallet app on their phone or with like an interface on their computer. So the fact that they're people in mass are being primed to storing value in a digital number on a screen, I think is extremely bullish for Bitcoin. Like this store of value seems like it's liquid. It's moving like this value is moving from assets to assets. Uh, and it very well, this, you know, use case of store of value and this desire and need and value that needs to be stored globally, like that can move to Bitcoin. And I'm just seeing like the, the path being paved for that. 
there's a lot of work to do because there, there's no transaction bottleneck with those uh, third-party apps, right? Um, so we don't want everyone to have to have a third-party app to use Bitcoin, but that could be a stopgap. You know, if everyone is owning Bitcoin, then there will be a lot more demand for protocol development uh, on Lightning Network or you know open source wallets and and that kind of stuff. So I think the what comes first, the pump or the development. I think probably the pump comes first, and then the the development comes after that. Um, we haven't seen anything yet. I mean, we've seen a ton on Lightning Network and um, with a lot of these decentralized um, layer twos and things, but we haven't seen anything yet because once Bitcoin gets over like a trillion, two trillion dollar market cap, I mean, the incentive is going to be out of this world to build this stuff and get it moving uh, because people are going to demand it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, not to refer back to past work, but the Bitcoin <laughs> Tina special, uh, we really get into that concept in depth is, you know, price is the leading indicator. Price is what tells people what to focus on and what to care about. Um, and uh, as Bitcoin's price goes up, more companies care about it. Fidelity did not, you know, pay attention to Bitcoin until the first bubble. And they didn't publicly start, you know, uh, really start investing and becoming a face in Bitcoin until the 2017 bubble. So um, it, it takes these bubbles to bring in the attention and then that attention brings in investment into the actual uh, into the actual underlying technology. Um, but speaking of the underlying technology, um, do you want to jump to Bitcoin? I guess we could talk about the dollar really quick. Yeah, so the dollar's kind of struggling here a little bit. Um, the listeners probably know I am a not a dollar bull, but I'm dollar positive at this time. I think the um, we're in a deflationary um, environment, so I think the dollar should go higher. But right now, it's breaking down. Um, I closed my chart to save some bandwidth here on this call, but um, it is breaking down below 96 on the DXY, and it could go lower. Now, this is also a comparison between other you know, fiat currencies. Um, if we look at Bitcoin, Bitcoin is going up. That means the dollar is going down versus Bitcoin. Gold is breaking uh, to eight-year highs right now today. So that means it's the dollar is getting weaker versus versus gold. All, a lot of commodities have turned around. They kind of bottomed there in March and April, and they're turning around. So it looks like either this is a, a real nice bear market rally, or it is a inflection point, and now the dollar is going to get weaker from here. But we'll have to watch it over the next couple of weeks to see, well, probably next couple months, to see how uh, where the dollar decides to go. So I guess, put, not to put you on the spot, but predictions, dollar versus other fiats, and then dollar versus stocks and commodities. I'm, I'm still squarely in the dollar positive camp. I think it's much, much stronger than any emerging market currency. It's much stronger than the euro. The Chinese yuan, I think, is going to be really hit hard. I've been doing a lot of research and reading on the Chinese situation right now. And we probably don't have time to get into that very deeply. And I didn't take any notes. So, but it is, uh, China is going downhill fast. So I think their currency will probably weaken. The Euro is really bad. So yeah, long-term next year or two, I still think the dollar is going higher. Well, let's transition to, to Bitcoin. We had a little bit of a breakout this morning, uh, pumped from what, like 9,100 or whatever to to 9,400. I mean, I guess it was kind of going up a little bit uh, yesterday. 
uh, I don't personally pay attention to price that much. Yeah, I mean, what do you have to say about uh, you know Bitcoin since last week? It looks like a big move because it's been slowly trickling down over the last month, um, but it it really isn't that big of a move. Uh, it feels good though. We were talking right before the show, like everyone's. Uh, People kind of get depressed in Bitcoin when the price just keeps ticking down. But when we have a good, nice green candle, uh, people's moods seem to uh, pick up. So I have noticed that in the last 24 hours, really, uh, in my community and uh, on Twitter and things. Um, yeah, I think this the deflationary spiral from the halving that people have forgotten about already. Can you believe that? It's only a couple months ago and people it's like old news. But that is starting to kick in. And, um, so slowly, but surely, uh, we will feel that pressure to go North. I'm, I'm waiting for it. I'm excited for it. What is your thoughts of like Bitcoin price being correlated to, to stocks at all? Like, do you still think that they're correlated or, you know, what, what are the conditions where, you know, we see correlation or not cor- correlation? I think Bitcoin is fundamentally uncorrelated with everything. Uh, so I believe in, I don't believe in a lot of what Pompliano says or agree with a lot of what he says, but I do agree that it is an uncorrelated asset. I think at certain periods you'll see a correlation, but uh, over the long term, it's almost nothing. There's almost no correlation whatsoever. I mean, maybe with gold, there will be a correlation in the future, but not with stocks. I don't think so. I, my, my kind of vision for stocks, if, if you care, is uh, over the next couple of years, very slow rise, very slow rise in stocks. And um, Bitcoin is going to break out and a lot of the dynamism and the growth of the world that, you know, people will start looking to Bitcoin for that uh, versus, uh, you know, stock market and uh, what is the newest IPO and and all that stuff. I think people will look at Bitcoin uh, for this new parallel economy. So uh, there there won't be much correlation because I think it is a completely separate economy and that is going to grow over the, over the next few years. Definitely the best case scenario for sure. Um, well, speaking about the, like the Bitcoin system, one of the most prominent aspects of the Bitcoin system is mining. Um, and we, we've seen last week hash rate was flat this week. Um, looks like it's going to go up by 8% in the next four days. It seems to me based on just like hearsay from mining pundits on Twitter and stuff like that, that things are healthy, things are bullish, people are optimistic about Bitcoin mining. Do you have anything to add there? I agree. Mining is very bullish right now. I didn't pull any links for this, but we'll have to touch on it in another episode. The mining in the US is going crazy. Remember that was like a couple weeks ago, there was a story about some, some mining company here, a uh, new mining mining company in the United States bought like 17,000 rigs from Bitmain. I mean, it's the hash rate in the United States is going to go up. And pretty soon, I mean, we've talked about this or Bitcoiners have talked about this for a long time that uh, I think you are, I might've heard this from you originally, that this is going to be uh, the, an issue of national security is how much 100%. hash rate yeah, that you 100%. have here. So um, I think this is a really interesting, it, it totally ties macro and um you know uh, money it it ties everything in that we talk about here on the show ties mining ties that all in so it's a good thing to talk about yeah we should talk about mining more and personally i'm passionate about mining i think mining is if bitcoin sound money is incredible 
distributed proof of work is just a sliver under how incredible sound money is. It's going to revolutionize everything. It's going to completely revolutionize the grid. The dollar is the, is the oil dollar where, well, Bitcoin is like um, the, the pure energy, do- like, you know, currency. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it uh, extracts energy from everywhere in the you know, most efficient way possible and turns it into money. Uh, and I think that that connection is, is just going to really bring Bitcoin full circle as a global, not only as like a global um, money, but also as a global commodity, also as uh, something that just tethers, um, you know, every aspect of life together. Um, so I don't know, I, I'm bullish and uh, I'm excited to see it come to the US and excited to see it go to other places too. Um, I want mining everywhere. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you said there. It's, it's just beautiful, right? Uh, Bitcoin is full of all these different pieces. And without every single piece, perfectly balanced, it would fall apart. So mining is definitely, I guess mining was that last piece that got kind of worked on by Hal Finney, right? In 2006, 2007. And then, well, of course you have proof of work from the hash catch and stuff, but reusable proof of work came from Hal Finney just right before Bitcoin. So that was kind of like that last Lego. If you want to talk about money Legos, that was your last, that was the last Lego to get, be put on Bitcoin that made everything tie together and work. All right, Ansel. I think this is a fun show. We touched on a bunch of stuff, touched on a bunch of stuff we want to talk about more in depth. China, want to talk more about mining in depth. I mean, maybe even, I'd be interested to talk more in depth about MMT and like, you know, this uh, and, and the UBI philosophy. Uh, just to understand the thinking behind that. So all good topics to have guests on for. So uh, definitely got to figure out how we're going to maneuver the format in order to work with guests, but uh, definitely want to start adding that element into. Yeah. Well, we can, um, if we hit on different topics, like we want to talk about mining, we can invite somebody on that's, uh, you know, in the industry. If we want to talk about China, we can reach out to some macro think tank guy that wants to talk about China and then we are responsible for tying Bitcoin in there. So that, that would be fun. Yeah, let's do it. All right. And so where can people find you? Bitcoinandmarkets.com. My dictionary is coming out. It's full of Bitcoin jargon, 180 terms and explanations uh, that can be found at bitcoindictionary.cc. Let's go. Pre-order the book. I already did. Um, you can find me at CK underscore snarks. Make sure to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine YouTube. Make sure to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Podcast. Make sure to share this on Twitter. Do all the things. We really appreciate the support. Uh, And we're seeing some growth. So thank you for the effort, all the listeners, and uh, keep it up. Thanks, guys. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.